You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. On this episode of the Broadway Gives Back podcast, I am so thrilled to welcome three incredible individuals from a true Broadway institution that is at the very heart of this industry's devotion to doing good. Talk to anyone in the Broadway community about giving back, and you're bound to hear them sing the praises of Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. With popular programs like Broadway Bears, Broadway Barks, and the Easter Bonnet Competition, and of course, those ubiquitous red buckets, Broadway Cares has raised over $300 million for essential services for people with HIV AIDS and other critical causes. I am so excited to welcome Broadway Cares Executive Director, Tom Viola, Director of Development, Danny Whitman, and Board of Trustee member and Tony Award winner, Gavin Creel today to discuss um, all the good that Broadway Cares does within the Broadway community and beyond. Tom, Danny, Gavin, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Thank you. Hey, Jan. It's hey great there. to be here. I am. I love, I love that we can be a part of this with you. This is so great. And I am so lucky to become friends with Tom and Danny. You guys have been so great. And I've been so fortunate to support Broadway Cares in both of the day jobs that I've had over the last 20 years and also in my personal life. And Gavin, well, Gavin, for you, I think I'm just thrilled to be able to have a fangirl moment with you and talk about some really important issues and causes. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Are you still blonde under that tassel cap? Oh, you better believe it. Oh, yes, you are. But <laughs> oh, I'll, my oh, God. Oh, you know what, though? I, li- I like the, uh, the, 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 roots? the roots coming in. Yeah. Yeah, that looks fabulous. One song, glory. <laughs> Roger, <laughs> yeah. for sure. The oldest Roger in the history of the world. <laughs> Get that 50-year-old off stage. <laughs> Not yet, 45. Um, yeah. But it looks great. Thanks. So let's start with you, Tom. Um, sure. Why don't we start at the beginning here? So tell us a little bit of the history of Broadway Cares and how you personally became involved with Broadway Cares and why. Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS was founded in 1988 as two separate organizations. Equity Fights AIDS, which came out of Actors' Equity Association, the Union for Actors and Stage Managers, and Broadway Cares, which was created by a small producers group at about the same time. 
for the next few years, uh, we worked, you know, very closely together. There were some very fledgling versions of what now are big annual events, including Broadway Bears, you know, which started in 1990 during that time as, you know, Jerry Mitchell and Seven Dancers on the bar at Splash and, and the Broadway Flea Market, which was initially literally four tables outside of the stage door of the original company of the Chorus Line at the Schubert, you know, original Gypsy of the Year and Red Buckets, um, Red Buckets and Easterbonne competition. But we worked side by side. Uh, we merged in 92. Uh, to become Broadway Cares slash Equity Fights AIDS. Um, and we assumed the missions of both organizations. Equity Fights AIDS has been, had been making uh, donations from the money we were raising uh, to the HIV AIDS initiative of the Actors Fund, just that one program, which had been created at about the same time. Broadway Cares had been making grants to social service or AIDS service organizations across the country, um, in New York City and, and gradually across the country. So in the merger, we assumed both missions and we to this day continue to do both, although they have greatly, greatly um, expanded. Well, and Tom, you should be so proud because you've really led you know, so much of this growth and, um, wow. and you inspire all of us. Um, so Gavin, Let's go back and let's just talk a little bit about your history of doing good and being philanthropic. Um, so tell me, did, how did this all start for you? Was this something in your upbringing? Did your parents model this for you? Or is it something yeah. that came to you later in life? But why are you such a good person and why do you do so much good? Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I, I will say I was born a demon seed and my parents turned me into someone good. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all my parents. Um, uh, they are probably the two most selfless, generous people I know. Um, they wash dishes every Thursday at their church. Not right now, obviously. I think they have been their naughty, naughty parents with masks and face shields on and everything. But my dad sits on the church board and my mother is rings the bell choir and volunteers to clean. And like they're constantly volunteering, not only in their church, but in the community. They take walks around the local pond and pick up trash when they go out. Like I just kind of was, it was going to be an impossible up bringing if I was going to decide not to obey them. <laughs> and I, and I realized, you know, no kid when you're little wants to do chores and wants to do anything but the things you want to do. And I realized you can get great joy and great satisfaction, the best joy and best satisfaction by contributing with yourself to others and, and watching my parents do it so joyfully and selflessly was where it began for me. But to fast forward to Broadway Cares, um, you hear whisperings of, I can't believe it's been like over 20 years since I moved to New York, which means Broadway Cares was only well, 15 years old, 10, 10, 10 years old even. I yeah. moved in 98, so I guess 88 was Colleen Dewhurst outside the office. Yep. I just think, uh, to me, it was an institution, a massive institution that everybody wanted to be a part of. And it was smartly produced because it was sexy. They had really great events <laughs> and really exciting things that were going on that the source of which was um, benevolence, doing, doing good for people who needed help. And what started off as an organization, as, as far as I understand it, these two can speak it much more expertly than I can, but uh, an organization for an, pandemic that no one would say its name. You know, a president wouldn't even acknowledge it was happening. And 
people were in our community, uh, the best thing that somebody said to me, when, it's horrible, but the best that made me realize is they said, Gavin, you have to imagine now then. You have to imagine the way you live your life right now, going to Broadway Dance Center, and, you know, and our friend Gavin is there dancing his brains out one week. And then the next week he's there and he's got a cold. And then the next week he's not there because he still has that cold. And the next week he's dead. Hmm. And I was like, what? Like, I can't, I can't imagine. And that was happening everywhere all the time. And there's no way I can imagine it. And AIDS is still a pandemic. It's still killing people. It is still a nightmare. Hmm. And it still doesn't have a vaccine or, or the hundreds and hundreds, of, like the, the infinite amount of resources and focus that it should. So to anybody who says, I mean, people say it, like, really, we're still raising money for AIDS? I'm like, mm-hmm, sure, we sure are. And the Phyllis Newman Women's Health Initiative and the, the recovery services and all these amazing programs. And I, I, I'll stop talking, but the, the thing I always say to people now who come to the industry. I'm teaching a free class during the pandemic for people who are like a creativity lab for students who should have come to the city from my alma mater in Michigan. And it's an amazing time to get together. And I said, you're gonna pay me in respect of my time and you're gonna join Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS when you mm. get to the city. And that's how you're gonna contribute. And if everybody just sees this organization, you get overwhelmed by so many people asking you to do stuff and mm -hmm. give money. Just give to this and it spreads across the world to organizations that need $2,500 or else they fold. Your one penny of your $25 donation will go to that organization. You know, I, that's not, I'm not a good at math. You know what I mean? <laughs> but but it's, it's in a great place when you feel overwhelmed, you don't know where to give, you want to help Black Lives Matter and you want to help homelessness and you want to help addiction and you want to help seniors and you want to help pets and people who lose their pets in illness. One place, you want to help the actors front one place, donate to the Broadway Cares, you're covered, you know, and you're doing really good work for everybody. That was well put. No, so how, when, when you became um, a member of the Board of Trustees, like how did that come about? I still don't understand it. I'm, I'm in that room. <laughs> the other day we were on a call and I was like, I was like, what am I in there? What am I doing in there again? <laughs> and and it, the, Tom, Tom asked me and I thought I had won the lottery. And I still just sit or listen in those meetings and I kind of marvel because the best thing, being in the room where it happens tomorrow, Hamilton. There you go. The thing that I have to say is sitting at that table, I realize that what I thought before being in that room was, you got your producers over here, you've got your theater owners over here, and Broadway Cares is over here, and all of the individual directors and producers are all quote unquote, fighting for the Tony or for the money or for the whatever. And then you sit down at the table, they're all at one table. And the one table that brings them together selflessly and generously is BCEFA. And it's like, they're all, you were, oh, the industry is actually working to help itself grow the billions and billions of dollars, the number one tourist attraction in New York City, more than any, makes more money than all the sporting teams combined everyone's on the same side, even if we're, we seem like we're not. And I believe, I say this, they're so tired of me saying this, but the crown jewel of our community is Broadway Cares. It's literally the center of Elsa's 
ice crown. It's right there in the front. <laughs> <laughs> so well put. Yeah. Um, hey, Danny, so explain to everybody, what's your role at Broadway Cares and how did you actually get hired, involved, and what's your, what's your, what's your passion project that you're working on right now? Yeah, uh, I'm the director of development for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. I've been with Broadway Cares uh, for 11 years, actually, just uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and, and I just want to first say what, what Gavin said there um, about what he says to students when he's teaching the, a free class to U of M students who are all throughout the Broadway community just shows to you what is so miraculous about what happens in this community. It's filled with generosity. It's not about Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. It's about a community of people who, who give and give again and again and again and encourage others to, to, to step up and sing or dance or hold a red bucket um, just to help somebody else who may not have the same kinds of resources. So that's what Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS is. It's not, it's not Tom or me or a bunch of, you know, folks kind of in an office. It's, it's, it's a community spirit that wants to take care of people that, um, that need a helping hand. Um, how I came to Broadway Cares is kind of uh, interesting. I came to Broadway Cares in two different ways. One was um, I was, I, I was working as an actor, um, and we had a, a week off from a show. I'll say it, Forever Plaid. It, it actually wasn't Forever Plaid. I did. No? For those who were in New York uh, when Forever Plaid was running, it was like, for a time, the most produced musical around the country. And I did, I think, seven productions of it, like a couple thousand different performances in three different roles. But um, we called it Forever Employed. Uh, but anywho... <laughs> But um, the way I came to Broadway Cares was um, I was I had a week off. We all came to New York, and um, I wanted to see shows. And um, one of the shows that I saw was one of the earliest shows doing an appeal. And I had never heard of Broadway Cares at that point. And um, I was really emotional and filled with a lot of angst because one of my most important college mentors, um, his name was Ray. Um, had tested positive, and I found out that he didn't want me to know. I don't even know if I've shared this with you, Tom. Um, he didn't want me to know, and that just killed me. I thought it was about me, and I eventually, years later, realized it was about the, the shame that he felt, that he could, didn't, didn't want to tell people that he was HIV positive because he didn't want to be judged. Um, and you, that sort of defines the kind of isolation that people feel even now dealing with this. But uh, so I was in the audience and at the end of the show, um, there was an appeal and um, what, show? what are they doing? The curtain call happened. The show's over. <laughs> and, um, and they talked what show, Yeah. What show, what show was it? What show? It was the Will Rogers Follies. Oh. Um, and it was, um, and I remember and, and I'm listening to it and the tears are streaming down my face and I'm pulling out my wallet, which probably had like $7 in it. But I pulled out everything. I was trying to find change in my pocket. And I threw it into actually hats. I, I remember they were holding hats, not hmm. buckets. I'm almost positive. And all of the men and women from the ensemble were standing at the exits. And I, and like, like other people, probably, I just threw as much as I had in and I thanked them and I fell apart. And then a couple of days later, I called into the office and I talked with uh, somebody um, and they said, and I said, how can I get involved? And I started just coordinating 
appeals with, you know, regional jobs I went to and I, I, I would sell the producers that we'll build a bigger audience because they'll get to know the actors. <laughs> so we all doing Forever Plaid <laughs> many times. We held a bucket. I remember the first time I coordinated it was at the Carousel Dinner Theater, which doesn't even exist anymore. And we held buckets at the door and, um, and they would hang out for like 30 minutes to talk with the plaids and they would throw money in. And we were so proud that we raised, you know, I think $10,000 in a three month run. And mm -hmm. it was, and I realized there was a thing here. And, um, and also, Danny I, Danny, I remember those donations. I mean, you would have talked to me because that would have been equity. That would have been equity <laughs> fights AIDS, and I literally remember the donations that came in from the Carousel Dinner Theater all the time. Yeah, we were we we had our picture in Equity News a couple times. <laughs> well, guess who put it there? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so that that made me feel a lot of things. First of all, I could channel my my angst and my frustration with not being able to make a difference. It also made me feel a part of a community that was bigger than my narcissism as an actor, which I had lots of. What are you talking um, about? I don't have any idea. I don't know what you mean. Really? <laughs> the problem was I, I felt more connected to that. So I stopped acting a couple of years later and, um, and, and wanted to give back then you know, I'll cut this story short, but a friend of mine, Andrew Lippi, I was hanging out with him and he said, hey, you want to come to see this event? I've, I've written an opening number and everybody takes their clothes off. So I, <laughs> I went to Webster Hall and I saw Broadway Bears, which he had written the opening number for. And, um, and I started just volunteering here and there, not steadily, but helping out, you know, at an event if I was in town or whatever. And it really stuck with me. Well, Broadway is enough to suck anybody Dan, in, right? <laughs> Jen, two quick Will Roger Follies anecdotes, which actually have, have a lot to do with sort of how we got started. Yeah. First of all, people often ask me, how did these audience, audience appeals begin? Mm -hmm. And they began actually very informally, initially first at Off-Broadway at Steel Magnolias. Rosemary Prince, who was a big, famous soap opera actress at the time, was playing Malin. And she decided, she determined that they could, at Theater de Lise, now the Lucille Latell Theater, mm -hmm. could actually make a pitch for donations holding some kind of buckets for what was the very first Equity Fights AIDS Week. They raised like $12,000, which for us then was a fortune. And nobody had thought, you did what? You did, you made a pitch from the stage? <laughs> well, at about the same time, word of that traveled. And if you remember in the Will Rogers Follies, Keith, um, Carradine spoke to the audience constantly. So there was, he had been breaking the fourth wall through the whole performance. So he literally decided on his own with the cast and I guess the stage manager that they would now do what they heard was happening down off Broadway at Steel Magnolias. That's without permission of the theater owners. That was like so rogue. That was the Sarah Palin of appeals. <laughs> um, and basically it took root in such a way that it be, it created a sort of avalanche of requests to the theater owners for us to be able to do that. And that's, I, I've told Keith personally, basically on Broadway, he was the catalyst of what has become millions and millions and millions of dollars raised. Well, you the know, second, the authenticity of that is why yeah. it worked. Because if yep. you had gone to everybody and said, hey, oh. we're going to do this program and we'd like never. everyone to do the following things, it would never have worked. But because never, never it came worked. from the heart is why yep. it, you know, it felt so genuine. 
And here's my favorite thing. This is really stupid, but I'll tell you. I was helping holding buckets at the Will Rogers Follies once again when they were doing these appeals. And they had, of course, because we learned right away, get the little kid out there with the bucket and you're going to make twice as you're going to make with anybody else. And this little kid is literally standing on the steps shouting at the top of his lungs, please give to Equity Fights Broadway Cares. <laughs> and I looked at him and I heard that and I went, Oh, I'm not even going to correct him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's working anyway. Yeah. Um, so I want to get back to this idea about social responsibility and Gavin, what you said earlier, you know, there are so many people that, um, that don't have a platform um, the way you do, or that don't have a big checkbook. I'm not saying that you do, but you know, um, or, and how, how can like an average person, an everyday person be an everyday philanthropist? You know, how can people get involved and what, you know, what advice would you give to your fans? I was thinking about this before this call and Something that I learned actually in St. Andrew's United Methodist Church when I was being confirmed in eighth grade. I'm not really religious anymore. I'm more spiritual than anything, but so much of my upbringing in, in the church and the community that the church provided for me, I still hold in my heart. And something I wanted to share is there's four things they teach you about prayers, presence, gifts, and service. In, 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 and it's, I, I always come back to that as, how to be a better person. And you can call, you don't have to call it prayer. I think it's intent. It's, it's thought it's keeping somebody in your, in your heart, your mind, but then being present. Like if you can't, if you don't have gifts, you don't have money, you can't offer money, which a lot of you, especially young people are honestly people in our business right now, anybody who's buying holiday presents for each other, stop, save your money, <laughs> donate a little bit of money to Broadway cares. That's what I'm doing. I told everybody, you're welcome. I'm, I'm donating to Broadway Cares and that's your Christmas present. Um, but if you don't have the ability to give money, I think just try to find a way that you can tick one or two of the other boxes of that. And service is a big way that you can help. I mean, I would be shocked if Danny or Tom would ever turn somebody away that's trying to volunteer or help in some way. Hopefully they have to because I, we'd love to use you, but we've got so many people rushing mm. towards our doors. But I know that there's a lot of times where they need and they need people to help. And I think it's also helpful to do the unglamorous work. Somebody has to do that. And it could be filing. It could be waiting by a door all day to check people in. It could be something is running cable or whatever, but knowing that when they flip over that $6 million number, you were a part of that. Mm. And it, and, and no job is, I mean, Tom and Danny are running everywhere doing a million things, but I know they're held up by the thousands of volunteers that help their staff run the organization. And I think it's important to, for, to be an everyday philanthropist. I love that term, Jan. It's so, it's so great. I did not make that up. I just want to go on the record. It's, <laughs> no, it's, it's a great term. And, and the idea of it being an everyday thing, I think, especially right now, and I want to comment on one thing that's going to get me into trouble, but I don't care because COVID has made me hard and mean. But right now, it's important not to get overwhelmed because there's a million things that are saying, you have to care right now about this, this, and this. It's going to be overwhelming. And the thing that's going to get me into trouble is I do not support shaming anyone into action. I think shame is the wrong way to go. 
Mm. Tom Viola, I repeat it all the time, says, go where it's warm. Like mm. if, if, if somebody is ice cold, walk away from them and just find the warmth because that's helped me so much in my, in being a creative person, in being an actor, instead of trying to like make the person that doesn't like my performance, which there are many, why don't you like me reviewer? Why don't you like me perform mm. a fellow actor? Why don't you like, screw you, like not, not screw you. That's, that's okay. I can, you can get me in trouble for that, <laughs> but leave, leave it alone. We'll, we'll edit that out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you should go towards where it's warm. Like, and I think for me, if you're mindful of others every day, even if it's just in prayers or thought, because in, when we're locked inside, I'm like, how can I be of service right now? And I am by doing different things or, or I can actually donate because I don't have kids or animals or anything that I have to give money away. And I can actually keep donating to Broadway cares, but when this pandemic lifts, everybody in our community, I mean, how much money has Broadway Cares sent to the Actors Fund during uh, this well, time? Well, just in these last eight months, $11 million. In, wow. and, and that's, that's with no appeals. That's with no, that's these two hustling like crazy, including making calls to this guy right here. And mm -hmm. he just says, no, I do not want to sing on the computer. <laughs> but how else can I help? And this, the idea that, well, if I can't donate, I'm not worth anything. And honestly, I've got too much going on. That's where I just challenge you. Like, just keep, keep, keep philanthropy in mind every day. What can I do for someone else? Like Danny was saying. And don't shame people into action. I, I am so against that. You know, the so, thing, to, to go on what Gavin just said, though, I, I really firmly believe, and I think Broadway Cares is, a, is an example of it, it's the fuel. Um, the only thing that makes a ch makes change are individual acts of kindness. Yeah. I mean, because you can be so overwhelmed with think thinking, how can I fix some huge problem? How can I be a part of some huge in in endeavor? And the fact of the matter is, you can be engaged by just doing with by what's right next to you, and hoping that the person right next to you is doing the same thing, and the person down the block is doing the same thing. And all those individual acts, all those individual efforts can create just a river that sweeps change into place. You, and, and can I just say, Broadway Cares folded an, or a little organization that started in a 250 square foot apartment with my, two of my friends called Broadway Impact to, to help fight for marriage equality. Rory O'Malley and Jenny Canellos and I like um, made this, oh, we didn't know what we were doing. And very quickly, Broadway Cares folded us into their organization gave us seed money helped us to raise money our one issue was to mobilize the theater community to fight for marriage equality in all 50 states and i cannot i am living proof of what jerry mitchell did with those seven dancers on the stage or what um a, a little bit what my friend jay armstrong johnson just did with i put a spell on you which did its first online thing which probably cares supported, produced, and did, it's amazing. It's still on the website. You can see it at broadwaycares.org slash spell. It's just nonsense, fun. Mm -hmm. We needed fun right now. And he made this really beautiful Halloween celebration. Um, but that, everything starts with a tiny idea. And if you're thinking about raising $1.5 million at Roseland Ballroom, RIP Roseland, you know, <laughs> or Hammerstein Ballroom, and that's all you're thinking about, back up start in a 250 square foot apartment and just go, what can we do today? We're going to write greeting cards to our Senator. 
who's our senator? Okay, I'm gonna make a video and I'm gonna teach people how to find out who their senator is. We're gonna publish that on YouTube. You know, like you start small and then you'll become like $12,000 from, was it Colleen? No, from, from, the, from the Steel Magnolia ladies. Yeah, is, is now six yeah. million dollars, about six million dollars twice yeah. a year. Don't try to raise six million dollars, raise twelve dollars. Right. Don't That's raise great. any money. Come and get twelve friends and go, let's go file papers. Right. Let's roll up our sleeves. Hour. Yep. Yeah, let's just do something. Um, so you you we talked a little bit about about the COVID situation in this year. So obviously 2020 has been a shit show. Um, so let's just go there. And I just, you know, I, I always try to find the silver lining and I'm, you know, there are definitely things that have happened to me in the last year that in, in between all of the fear and all of the anger and all of the angst, I've found some things that have comforted me and that I've been able to use to comfort others too. But I just wondered for the three of you, what's your, like, has anything positive come out of this year for you and how are you coping with what's going on? Let's give some hope. Yeah, you know, I think I think there is a lot. As much as I have said, you know, if I'm, I have I am so overzoomed. Um, but on the other hand, there are really relationships that I have, friendships and, and work relationships, that have been deepened because of the connection that we've been forced to have, staying in our individual homes or apartments. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, you know, also, also I came upstate in June, I've been working from here since, you know, since then. And of course my two dogs came with me and these two crazy cats, the one you may have been just hearing a minute ago, that was his bell walking across my desk. Um, it sounds nutty to say, but I have a much sort of different, deeper, if you will, sort of friendly relationship with them because I spend the whole day with them. Um, I mean, that, which is why the one cat decided that in the middle of this interview, he was going to walk all over the desk and all over my lap. And if you heard a jingling, that was his bell. Um, <laughs> Wait, Tom, they say that the dogs are really excited that their owners are home all the time, but the cats are like, no, 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 go back to work. No, go back to an office. I have one of these two cats like has, spends half, people see his ears in meetings on these Zooms because she insists, she, she insists on sitting on my lap half the time. Oh, I love what about, that. What about you, Gavin? Um, I'm okay with Danny. Dan, can I ask Danny? Because Danny, look, he was about to say something. Can yeah. I ask him real quick? Go, Danny. Yeah, I um, the thing that's been there, there have been a couple of silver linings. Um, one is that I get to be with my family. Mm. I, I, you know, I'm, I step off of a Zoom, and out right outside my door is my five year old. Um, or sometimes interrupting my Zooms. Um, and I get to- <laughs> And, the, and the cutest interruption there is actually. <laughs> yes, sometimes lasting too long. Um, but also the one thing that's been incredible is a different kind of creativity. People are creative in different ways, you know, pre-pandemic. But now there's, there's a different kind of creativity that have, people have found, uh, not just artists. I mean, so many actors and writers have done some incredible things in the last eight month, months, but, um, but also how people are surviving, how all of our Broadway Cares team and our volunteers have come up with new ways of, um, of doing what we do and beyond Broadway Cares. I think that just the the new things that have come about. I actually love, I know a lot of people are sick of Zoom. 
I love Zoom over a phone call, particularly yeah. when it's peop with people that I don't connect with as often. I love yeah. to be able to look at them and see them. And I've deepened that relationship with so many people because of the pandemic, strangely. Years from now, when I'm laying in, in, in some, uh, some, on some couch somewhere as an 82-year-old, I'm going to have people's ceilings flash in my mind. Because literally on all these Zooms, what we've learned is I've, I've, I've you know, we've seen Danny's little dinosaurs there. And you, we see the ridiculous curtain above my window here that looks like Betsy Ross's hat. And, um, you know, Gavin has that beautiful wood paneling. Um, it, it's been a peek into people's lives that you never have when you're just interacting in an office. Yeah. Absolutely. I, lo I love all the interior decor. <laughs> I, I, can I say my, my, um, the truth of this time for me is I have really had a hard time with it. I, I, I think of myself as a really resilient person and it's been really hard for me. It's been very painful. I hate it. I don't want to live this life forever. I, I couldn't imagine it. I know it won't be forever, but I really not liked it. And that's probably the biggest lesson is it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So how do I deal with that? And I've had to force, I just keep calling it COVID's like the big mirror. It's just holding a mirror up to me going, you're going to look at this. Or are you going to just try to avoid it? I don't want to go back to who I was. And, but I also have to learn to sit in pain in a way that I never could before. I always thought it's my job to make people happier to, to, to not, lament my troubles and wallowing I'm not a big fan of, but allowing yourself to really go, I'm hurting, this hurts, is something I never really could do before. So it's a weird silver lining, but it is a silver lining for me to be able to experience pain in a way that I hadn't before, you know. Wow, okay, I have tears streaming down my cheeks, so um, <clears throat> thank you. No, it's you, hard, there, it's it, really hard. Not, not one of us, we're yeah. all having a hard time. It's, sure. it's really, it's really tough. I think about Danny with a five-year-old. My the perfect silver lining is my best friend Celia and I talk every night, and we never did that before. We have a check-in, a nightly check-in. What did you make for dinner? Eggplant parm. What did you make? I found this thing in New York Times. Ooh, send me that recipe. How are you doing? How is your heart today? Like we're asking, we're getting in there. Celia's term is getting in there. Um, and that is a gift. But I think about she has a five-year-old, Danny. And she's confronted with being a mother in a way that this isn't natural. You're not supposed to be your kid's teacher and caregiver and babysitter. And it's not, you're not supposed to be around your kid this much all the time. And it's punishing because you feel shame that you should like it because it's your kid and you love your kid. And no, it's a human being. I don't want to be around any human being all the time. Yet we're isolated and it's so painful and I want to be connected, but I don't know about the rest of you, but the daily, um, the podcast, the day the New York times daily, I haven't listened to it, but Celia told me two nights ago, did you hear the daily today? I was like, Oh no, what happened? She goes, no, it's actually really good. It's about the, va the vaccine and how they're saying already that like maybe by May things are going to be not Broadway, obviously, but life is going to be back to normal. I always say that screw you people. Come on. What about us? It's hard. It's really hard in our industry, but that made me anxious. I got anxiety. Mm. Weirdly, I was like, oh God, what am I, what am I going to do? Am I ready? I don't want to be in here anymore. But also, there's something so beautiful about nobody can do anything. Mm. Everyone's on the same page. 
we all have to be patient. We all have to sit. We have to think about each other. And I think, I do want this to be done, but I don't want to get back on the hamster wheel. So I guess the homework for me is when it resumes and I feel like everybody zooms away to their places where they have to go and work now that I won't feel even more alone because I want to stay in a place where we're all connected. You know, I don't know. It's weird. I have a lot of emotions. <laughs> no, that's well, I think, well, I think I, we will be in different ways. I, mean, I don't think any, I don't think there's any coming back to normal in any, in any community or in any endeavor. I think everything, everything, all of us individually and as a community and industries are going to get a reboot. And part of that is some doing things how we used to do it. Some are making internal changes as well as external changes. And um, some of what we're, we've been doing now will be incorporated and some things will be exploited. Sadly, that's just the way it goes. But, um, but I, I think this is historically will be looked at as a time as big as the industrial revolution. I mean, in terms as of how it has changed everything, everything. And, and like you, Gavin, it, I, I am dying to get back to really back in our office, much as I love it up here and back to work. But um, I'm also not sort of comfortable in this. And I was mm -hmm. thinking the other day, okay, you know, we'll probably reopen the office in June. And I got this pit thing in the pit of my stomach of just being nervous about that. Mm. Um, I'm, with, because, I'm totally with you. You know, because that will now be an adjustment, a welcome one, but a challenge. Everything, everything will have changed, whether it's when you return to rehearsals mm -hmm. or when we show up in the office or when I suddenly am not ho at home with my son, yeah. which mm -hmm. Gavin is right, it's hard. I, right. I feel like this pandemic has shined a giant magnifying glass on the issues that already existed. Like mm -hmm. if you had a communication issue with somebody or an issue in a relationship that you haven't dealt with, it's only magnified mm -hmm. because you're more raw or you're with them more or whatever it is. And if you have concerns, work concerns or family concerns, it's all come to a head. Nothing's brushed under the rug right now. Mm -mm. Jan, can I say that what Danny just said, and I'm not trying to like button it up neatly in, in a way, but the thing that has given me, besides I meditate, I do a little bit of exercise and I write in a journal every day. That's, that's like my salvation. But the thing that takes me away from my sadness and grief and the things that I've been dealing with in this last year personally is when I do something with or for someone else. Like there is a, this class, this class I'm teaching was something I was scared to do. I was like, what do I have to offer? I can't, I'm not taking money from these people because I just personally don't feel like in the middle of a pandemic, I need to take money from 22 year olds who just graduated college. And sh I wanted to provide a space for them. And it, it's been so healing for me and so creative for me. It was when I leaned towards creativity and more so creativity that will eventually extend to other people, hopefully. I don't feel that, that it's weird. It's just like, it blows away. And then once I'm done, I say, I log off the Zoom. All right, bye everybody, see you next week. It floods back in and I'm like, okay, go, go cook something because then you'll think about something else. <laughs> but it really does uh, speak to the core of what Broadway Cares is about, is when you feel like a flag 
only buckled by one thing on the flagpole and just whipping about. And the other end that pulls you back to form is um, philanthropy, I think, is generosity, is extending your, your two attachments. One is you, and that's great, but you will whip about in the wind forever and have no form, and it'll be chaos. You'll survive, you'll stay attached. But the other thing that brings you, makes you, just grounds you, is other people. It's connection to other human beings. And that's what makes you billow in the breeze beautifully. I'm gonna ride this flag analogy for as long as I can. <laughs> it works. Yeah, it really is. You know, just, you, know, you know what, Jan, too, though, going off of what Gavin just said, you know, because a lot of times you just feel so overwhelmed. I mean, you turn on the TV and whatever, whatever it is. And the only thing, the only thing that makes a difference are the small individual acts you can do. And if I can just take a moment here, it's something I've shared at Broadway Bears first rehearsals for years. Um, and years ago when I was working uh, as Colleen Dewhurst, uh, Colleen's assistant, Colleen Dewhurst's assistant at Equity, uh, she gave me a Christmas card that had an African, a very short African fable on the cover. And I have never forgotten it. In fact, in my office at work is the, that, the front of that card on my bulletin board. Um, but here's the story. Um, a great storm, big storm had hit, hit uh, out at sea, came into a beach and literally washed hundreds, thousands of starfish on the sand. And when the sea receded, uh, they were all dying in the sunlight. And at one point, a little kid came down, a little boy, I guess, and he was picking up a starfish and throwing it into the surf. And then he'd pick up another starfish and he'd throw it into the surf. Well, off beyond him was an older guy, a man, watching this, sort of scoffing and thinking, what the hell is that kid doing? And then he walks down to the kid and he goes, what are you doing? One starfish at a time, it's, you're wasting your time. It really doesn't matter. You'll never be able to save all of them. And a little boy bent down, picked up another starfish, threw it into the surf, and he said, well, it sure mattered to that one. Mm. And literally, <laughs> that story is at the heart, I swear, of everything that Broadway Cares does um, in terms of both our fundraising and the engagement of the community and our major donors and our all volunteers and donors, but especially in terms of how we help people. Um, it's why you answer individual emails. You pay attention to someone who's writing to you saying, how can I help? Or I'm in a little bit of trouble. What can I do? Um, those are some of the most important emails that I'll write today. Um, so, uh, it sure matters to that one. I think we're going to put a pin in this because that is the perfect way to end. Um, I, this has been a really emotional morning. I didn't expect it to be. Thank you so much, all three of you, for sharing your time and your stories and your hearts and your honesty. And Jan, you. Thank hold you. on. Jan, 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 hold on. What? Thank you. You yeah. have been a great friend and champion of Broadway Cares for many years. I don't even remember how we first met at the Broadway League, but I'm so glad we did because actually we're one of your starfish. So thanks. Thank you. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan, so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway Gives Back. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. 
produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals with Brittany Bigelow and music by Eric Becker at Broderick Street Music. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, and friend, Jim Lochner, and to Katie and Yo at BPM, Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency, the Charity Network, and to my fiancé, Glenn Weiss, who is always my consultant. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit bpm.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.